0: It's a blessing to be with you tonight. Uh, my pastor, Calvary Chapel in Greeley, Colorado, up north. And um, it's a blessing to be with you. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel tonight. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we're going to cover verses 38 through 42. And it's a familiar story to many of you. But I thought it'd be a tremendous blessing to you, especially as the Thanksgiving is coming and the holiday season is coming up. And I think it's... a uh, something that uh, the Lord ministered to our congregation to just a couple weeks ago, and I I felt like the Lord would want us all here tonight to be reminded of these wonderful truths that we're going to be reading about. While you're turning to Luke chapter 10, uh, just a quick story I want to tell you. Uh, I was here. uh, I was ordained at Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel, Rocky Mountain Calvary now, uh, in 1992. And uh, Sue and I... Uh, my wife was with me, Sue, 26 years uh, we've been married. That's consecutive years. And, um, <laughs> and we were coming down. We've got a lot of great memories here in Colorado Springs. Uh, this is where our two older kids uh, were born. Uh, they're adults now. And um, this is where ministry started for me. And I'm going to take you back just about 30 years ago that as we were coming down Academy, I, I was showing her uh, just one block south of uh, Woodman Road, There's a little side road that's called Yoke Drive or Yoke Street, and there was a little daycare center in there. And I remember when um, I was going to church there in the little daycare, it's about 20 of us, I would go in and push all the toys aside and set up about 20 chairs And we had a time where we were praying in there one Sunday, wondering if we should continue to be a church, wondering what should we call ourselves. And after we spent some time in prayer, we decided that the Lord was leading us, that we would call ourselves Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel, now known as Rocky Mountain Calvary. And for me to be here tonight to see what God has done over these years, over these decades, is a tremendous joy to me. And I am so blessed and and so pleased to be with you tonight. And and so I hope that God is uh, just going to bless us as we get into God's word here. And let's begin to read. You should be at Luke chapter 10. uh, And we're going to start reading at verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. The one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And so, Father, tonight I just pray that this story that many of us, we've read before, we're familiar with it, but I pray that it would touch our hearts in a deep way. That, Lord, we desire to serve you. We desire to to do our very best for you. But sometimes we do get distracted, and especially with this time of the year. So I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts soft before you as uh, we continue and look at this text very carefully. Lord, that you would apply these truths to us in a deeper way than ever before. And so we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so on the weekend services at Calvary Chapel Greeley, We're going through Luke's gospel, and I understand that Pastor Eric is taking you through Mark's gospel on the weekends. And the synoptic gospels have a lot of similar accounts, uh, as you know that uh, they do. And as we get into Luke chapter 10, though, it's unique that almost the entire chapter is not found in the other two synoptic gospels, that being, of course, Matthew and Mark. And in Luke chapter 10, just to set the stage of what we just read, uh, it's, it's a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Matter of fact, in chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And you see, at that time, from chapter 9 to the time that he goes into Jerusalem, into the triumphal entry, which is chapter 19 of Luke's gospel, it's this time that he has left Galilee for the very last time before his crucifixion. He has passed through, as you read the end of chapter 9 of Luke, he's passed through Samaria, the middle region of the country where the Samaritans were. And, of course, that's where it was uh, there that James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, they wanted to call down fire on a village that had rejected Jesus. And, And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. I'm here to save men. And as they would pass through Samaria, they would come into that area of the southern region of the country that is called Judea. And Judea, there in chapter 10, he sends out the 70. Again, not recorded in Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel. And the 70 go out two by two, and they go out as they were to go to every place and city where Jesus was about ready to pass through to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Earlier, when you read chapter 9 of of Luke and also in the other Synoptic Gospels, you read about the 12 that were sent out in the Galilee region. But now he's in the southern part of the nation. And these 70, they come back uh, and and they're excited. They work great powers. And then Jesus, as you continue through the chapter, there he is. He's ministering to them. And as he sent them out, Jesus is grieving over that area of Galilee. And in chapter 10, he says some very interesting things as he's telling them that the cities of Bethsaida, Chorazin, uh, woe to you, for if the mighty works were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, of course, Tyre and Sidon were those Gentile cities that were up north in what today is called Lebanon. If they would have seen the works that Beseda and Corison and Capernaum saw, they would have repented a long time ago, uh, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And he goes on and he, he rebukes Capernaum. And Coruscant and Beseda and Capernaum, actually, as you read, he says something interesting about Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. I want us to, to really understand what's going on here. Here is Jesus, and I, I picture he's turning towards the Galilee, and he's weeping, and he said, Oh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Capernaum, you are exalted to heaven, but now you're going to be cast down to Hades. Oh, if, if, if Tyre and Sidon, that's where Jezebel, the Old Testament, came from, from that area that that brought Baal worship. And, of course, she was a very wicked woman, as you read about uh, the wife of Ahab, the king of the ten northern tribes there in Israel. And, And if they would have seen the works that you guys saw, they would have repented a long time ago. And that had to be hard for Peter and for Andrew and for Philip that were from Bethsaida. We know that Peter lived in Capernaum and and some of the other disciples, no doubt from that area, as it was James and John, I'm sure they're from that area. Matthew, we know that he worked in that area, probably from that area, and it must have been so hard for them to hear Jesus weeping over that area of Galilee that he had spent most of his earthly ministry. It broke their hearts to hear that from our Lord. And Jesus making his way to Jerusalem, traveling south out of Galilee, down into the Jordan River. He turns to Galilee with a broken heart. He he says that as he has sent out these 70, knowing that there are going to be those who are going to reject him in the message of the gospel. He tells them that the stakes are high to those who do reject me. And that's why he's saying that. And thou, Capernaum, for three years... He had made that little city nestled next to the Sea of Galilee, a very beautiful place, and understand what he's saying. And you, Capernaum, with heart hurting, you are exalted to heaven, but will be brought down to Hades. You know, Isaiah tells us in chapter 40 that God laid out the universe by the span of his hand. In verse 12 of the chapter, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured he- heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the-, the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. And the creator of all the universe measured he- heaven with the span of his hand. And he sets aside our solar system, he sets aside our planet, he sets aside the nation of Israel. He sets aside Jerusalem where Jesus is headed, where the act of the ages will be realized, where the lamb slain before the foundation of the world will be crucified and he will rise again. And before his crucifixion, he sets aside Capernaum, where the creator of the universe lived for three years. You see, Rome never saw that, anything like that. Athens and All their intellect and philosophy and sophistication in Greek culture never saw anything like that. Alexandria and the great cities of of Egypt never saw anything like that. And we know that for three years, that little insignificant little village, as far as the world was concerned, Jehovah God in human flesh walked among them. See, he walked in their streets as you're learning in Mark's gospel, aren't you? He entered their homes. He taught in their synagogues. He healed their sick. He raised their dead. He fed them on a hillside. He taught them the parables of the kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount. He walked on the waters of their shores. He would calm the wind. And for three years, imagine that. The Creator For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. All things were created through him and for him. And for three years in human history and in all geography, Capernaum hosted Jehovah God and you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven. Heaven is God's dwelling place. And for three years, it was Capernaum, that was the Holy of Holies. And now he's weeping over that area of Galilee. He knew the faces. He knew the families. He knew the children that spoke to to him. He would touch them. It would be Daniel and Isaiah and and David of old that would have loved to have been there to be with him, to hear him. And he says that they long to see what you have seen. And they would have longed to hear what you have heard. And now Jesus in that area of Judea is the 70 going out. He says the stakes are high. Now he's going to make his way up to Jerusalem at this time of Luke chapter 10. And on his way, he meets a family or he is going to be hosted by a family, a home that he's going to enter into that belongs to Martha and Martha's sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. They were ones that were very dear to Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this family got to know Jesus. But evidently, uh, they were very hospitable to Jesus and the disciples. Uh, There are other times we know uh, that they would host Jesus. Jesus would be in their home with the disciples. We know that from John's Gospel. So this is a very special family to Jesus. And, And Jesus would go here during this time. And this village that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in was a village we know from John's Gospel that was called Bethany. And Bethany would be known as the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Again, we get that from John's narrative. And I find it that it's interesting that they called it Mary and and the sister of Martha. That's what the town was known for. Because actually, historically, Bethany, which was nestled right on the east side of the Mount of Olives, only two miles from Jerusalem, was also known as the House of Misery. Now, why was it known as the House of Misery? Well, scholarship believed that it was known as the house of misery because those who would go to Jerusalem for the feast, and then they would, the religious leaders, consider anyone to be unclean. They can't be here. You can't bring sacrifices for Passover or whatever that you have to leave Jerusalem. They would then go to Bethany and they would be there and they would be there, of course, brokenhearted and sad because the feast, the temple in Jerusalem was everything to them. And all of a sudden, this town became known as the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And I think that's worth considering here tonight. Because all of us that we're going to be with people at work or at school or with their families during this holiday season that's coming up, and you might be thinking that, man, this place, it's misery. This place is difficult. This place is hard. Or even with your own family, because of circumstances and and things that are going on, you're thinking it's so hard to be with the family, it can be miserable at times. What I pray is that as much as you can, and the Lord just working through you, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring blessing to wherever the Lord has placed you. So this was a very special home to, to Jesus as he goes there, and and. Jesus is only about four months away from the cross. He's probably been down there at the Jordan River in the, in the Jordan Valley that is warm down there in the wintertime. He's at a place, maybe Bethabara. We get a hint from John's gospel that he would spend time there. And when you look at John chapter 10 and you line it up with Luke chapter 10, we see that this is a time that Jesus is probably going up to Jerusalem to celebrate what was called the Feast of Dedications or what the Jews celebrate today is the Feast of Lights, or Hanukkah. It would take place in the wintertime in December, and and it's not one of the major feasts described in in the Old Testament, but it was a feast that uh, commemorated when the Jews led by Judas Maccabee and his brothers. You see, about 200 years before this time, The Syrian king came into Jerusalem. Maybe perhaps you studied that if you had a lesson or studied the book of Daniel because Daniel prophesied about it. In about 175 B.C., Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, the Syrian king comes in, and and he comes into Jerusalem. He kills many Jews. He goes into the temple. He kills a pig there in the Holy of Holies. He smears the blood of the pig all over the temple. Of course, pigs were considered unclean. He would force some of the priests to drink the pig's blood. He killed some of the priests. He was a brutal, brutal man, very evil. And we know that Judas Maccabee, called the hammer, would rise up, and he says, I'm going to nail you, Antiochus. And his brothers rose up as well. And there was this revolt, and there was a long struggle for about nine years, and finally, finally, they drove out Antiochus Epiphanes. The Jews called him Epinani, the madman, the insane one. And they drove him out, and they cleansed the temple, and they rededicated it, and they relit the menorah in in the holy place, but they realized when they relit the menorah, that seven-branch, you know, uh, candle opera there that each of the seven branches had bowls with oils and wicks flowing around in them and they lit them and it was a happy moment but then they realized we have no more holy oil and there's only one day supply of holy oil in those bowls and the light's going to go out and this is bad news so they begin to pray and a miracle happened and that miracle was that that menorah stayed lit for eight days until they could make a new batch of holy oil, and, and so that's why today at Hanukkah you have the nine branch menorah that you see that the Jews light, and there's a main one that rises above the others, very distinct, and four, you know, candles on one side, four on the other, and for eight days they celebrate Hanukkah and they light one of those candles each of the eight days. Matter of fact, this year I believe it starts on Christmas Eve and goes to January 1st. So that's what Jesus was going up to, the Feast of Dedications, the Feast of Lights. And and matter of fact, at that time, that's when the Jews started waving the palm branches. So about four months from now, when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we know that the people, what did they do? They waved the palm branches, right? It was a symbol of political freedom. Just as Judas Maccabee led that revolt and and chased out and drove out Antiochus. They waved the palm branches as they climbed the trees and cut down the branches. And when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, and he would weep over Jerusalem too, wouldn't he? And as he came into Jerusalem, they were waving the palm branches and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was an expression of, we're expecting him to overthrow the yoke of Rome. So Jesus is only a few months from that. And he comes, he heads to Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedications. It's cold. Jerusalem gets snow in December, and it's cold not only physically, but it's cold spiritually. He's already wept over the area of Galilee where 80% of the gospel takes place. Uh, The religious leaders are arguing with Jesus. They are more determined than ever to have him be arrested and to put him to death. He's being rejected, and here is one place where he finds warmth and he finds acceptance and hospitality. It's in this very special home with this very special family, and they invite Jesus to stay. And what my hope and prayer for all of you that are here is that your homes would be a place Where the Lord is welcome and where he's honored. And the presence of the Lord is perceived and the praises of the Lord are given and the things of the Lord are spoken of. That he feels welcome in your home. And here he's welcomed as he comes here. And in verse 38, it was called Martha's house. We read Martha welcomed Jesus to her house. In other words, she kind of ruled the roost, if you would. And Jesus is welcome into this home. Now, when you close chapter 9, it was Jesus that said that foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He has nowhere to lay his head. Matter of fact, that word lay is found in only one other place in the New Testament, that is in John chapter 19, when it says that Jesus breathed his last. When he breathed his last. And he bowed his head. Same Greek word. The only place that Jesus had to lay his head is when he died for you on that cross. And he cried out, it is finished. And isn't that the wonderful news that we get to proclaim? Is that Jesus did the work on the cross. He cried, it is finished. And he breathed his last and he bowed his head And here Jesus, in in chapter 9, he says, I have nowhere to lay my head, but in this home he has a place where he's welcome. Matter of fact, two homes in Scripture where he would find some rest and hospitality would be this home in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then also in Capernaum in Peter's home. Matter of fact, whenever you're going through the Synoptic Gospels and you read that in the house Many scholars believe that that's speaking of Peter's house. And so Jesus comes to this house, and I would imagine the 12 perhaps are with him. It doesn't tell us for sure, but we know in John chapters 11 and 12, when Jesus is at this house, the 12 are with him. We know that for sure. And so ladies, can you imagine 13 people, if this is the case, showing up at your house, no one has called you on your cell phone, no one has texted you, No one has given you warning, and these guys show up for dinner. And I imagine it would be a bit stressful, and we're going to see that it is for Martha. What a remarkable scene here, that Martha welcomed him. It indicates to us that perhaps she wasn't expecting this because she's all of a sudden scurrying around, and she gets very overwhelmed. So I have a tendency to think that these 12 are with him, but again, we don't know for sure. It's a lot different, this, this scene here than, you know, moms, your teenage boys bringing some of his friends over and saying, mom, can they stay for dinner? Martha welcomed him. And I'm sure that if the disciples were with him, they were welcomed as well. You see, hospitality was very, very important in this culture at this time. In Luke chapter 7, some of you know the story, there was a a Pharisee named Simon that invited Jesus over to his house up in Capernaum. And, And Jesus is there having dinner with Simon and many others that were there. They're watching Jesus. They're, you know, checking him out. And all of a sudden in the middle of that dinner, this woman, only known as a notorious sinner, comes in, interrupts the dinner, falls at the feet of Jesus, begins to anoint his feet and to wash his feet with their tears and dry them with their hair. A remarkable story. And as she did that, it was Jesus that turned to Simon and said, Simon, I I want to say something to you. You are a rude host. That's the interpretation. Because when I came to your home, you did not wash my feet. You did not anoint my head. You did not greet me with a kiss. And so hospitality was very, very important. And as she, Martha, welcomed him, that would be all a part of that. Now, we don't know if she and Mary would take care of all that and welcome the, welcome the welcoming them, or if perhaps there was a servant. It gives us a hint in John chapter 11 that they were a family that were of some influence, at least Lazarus was. Because when he dies, it tells us in verse 19 of the chapter that, that many of the Jews from Jerusalem came to mourn the death of Lazarus. We know f- that Mary, there in John chapter 12, pours out this alabaster box of ex- very expensive fragrant oil on Jesus to anoint him before his death. And we are told that that fragrant oil was nearly a year's wage. So we get a hint that they were of some means, not extravagant, but they were well off. And after Jesus is welcome and the guests, it wasn't that Martha could just call out for Chinese or run to Little Caesar's Pizza like we might perhaps do in that situation today if people show up at her house that we weren't expecting. There's a whole process that's going on here. Perhaps a lamb that needs to be dressed and be prepared. Uh, we grind it up. Uh, the busyness begins and then it really begins to get busy And, and while this process is going on let's read verse 39 again and she had a sister called mary who also take note of that sat at jesus feet and heard his word that wording mary who also indicates to us that she would initially be involved in serving She would be involved in greeting and welcoming these guys in the beginning of the process. And and then all of a sudden, she would take her place at Jesus' feet to hear his word. Three times we see that Mary is mentioned in the scriptures. Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11, and John chapter 12. And each time she is at the feet of Jesus. The first time is here as she's at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. The second time she is weeping in John chapter 11 at the death of her brother. And then the third time, John chapter 12, she is worshiping as she anoints Jesus, pouring out the most valuable thing in her life. And here she is commended in Scripture, not by her activity, but by her posture. Now, as we look at this little vignette tonight, this is not Martha's are bad and need to be rebuked and Mary's are good. There are some things that we need to learn from here because Marthas are very important. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her for serving. He doesn't say to her, what you're doing is bad. But he does give proper perspective that I know that I need to consider and perhaps you need to consider here tonight. I love having Marthas. Those who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get things done. We have Marthas at our church at Calvary Chapel Greeley, and they serve, and they serve faithfully, and they work hard, and I am so thankful for them. We could not do what we do in having four services a week if we didn't have the Marthas and then all the other things that take place. And this morning as I left, there's, you know, a group and, uh, that's there receiving shoeboxes, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. You guys, I'm sure, are a part of that ministry. And we collect all the shoeboxes in Greeley and all of Weld County. Thousands of shoeboxes come into the church. You'll never look at another shoebox again in the same way as you do something like that. But they work hard, and they're getting them packaged up and in a box and getting them ready for distribution down in Denver. And that's just a small part of those who work so hard at the church. And Marthas are needed, and they are very much appreciated just as they are here. And I know for me, I am by nature more of a Martha. Martha. I like to stay busy, in other words. I like to get things done. Martha's are one that are thinking and planning and, and, and wanting to get things done right away and, and making sure that it's done right. And I was taught in my life that the way that my dad raised me is that work is good and fun must be earned. And when I first got into ministry nearly 25 years ago, that as I was just, you know, young and, and I was excited and I moved up and started a church in Greeley by God's grace and, and I remember thinking I may not be the sharpest knife in the cupboard, the smartest pastor. I may not be the funniest. I may not be the most dynamic. But one thing that I will do is try to outwork you. And I used to work and think that work was the priority. And I was one that I wanted to get things done. And I will try to outwork anyone in ministry. And one of the things that I really love about living up in Greeley in Weld County is that up there, just like it is here, that so many people work hard. They work the land. They farm and they ranch and the guys that are on the drilling rigs out in the fields, and those who have businesses, and and those who just work hard, and I appreciate that, and I love seeing that in people's life. And many of you work very, very hard, and you work hard in, in your businesses or jobs and raising your families and serving the Lord, and what can happen to us who are Martha's, and I know that there are some that are here tonight, is that we can start to lose perspective like she does. We start to fuss and we start to stress and look down on the Marys who are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Mary, she was working initially, but over time, what happened is she hears the Lord speaking, and she's thinking, I'm sure my Lord is here, and I don't want to miss out on this opportunity to hear Him. Being at His feet was a posture of a disciple in a worshiper, and I imagine that she just plants herself there at the feet of Jesus and is so focused on listening to him that she forgets for the moment and for a while all the activity that's going on. Now keep in mind that Jesus is welcome in both of their lives, but verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha is busy doing a good work and I really believe that she wants to do her very best in preparing this meal for Jesus. She wants it to be very, very special. She wants to show her affection and love for Jesus and her efforts in making a meal for him. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that motivates me. And yes, we are going to learn from Martha about what not to do. But we can learn some good things from her as well. And I think this is one of them. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 24. That Paul the apostle writes. And whatever you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I believe that she's trying to do her very best at this time. In serving him. You know what about you and me? Do we do our very best that we can. In walking with the Lord. And serving the Lord. Because we love the Lord. What we do for him, do we do it heartily as unto the Lord? And I'm sure that you do. We don't say, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be teaching the kids you know in children's ministry on Sunday. It doesn't matter if I show up on time or not. Or greeting, or in the cafe, or the bookstore. We don't have that mentality because it's our Lord. We're serving him, and we want to do all things that we do heartily as unto the Lord. Because we love him. That should be our motivation for serving him. And Martha here, she isn't just with the mindset of, I'm just going to slap something on a bun and give it to Jesus and be done with it. She could have done that, but she welcomes him. And she wants to make this special meal for him and show her affection and love for him as she serves him. This is Jesus. This is my Lord. But what happened? She became distracted. And that word distracted means that she's under pressure. She's anxious. She's getting overwhelmed. She's distracted with much serving. She is going, I imagine, from this boiling pot to this boiling pot to getting dinner where ready. And where are those spices? And where is that sister of mine? And she's thinking of all this, and she is overwhelmed And she's stressing out, and she's very anxious because she made it that way. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she's going all out to where she's overwhelmed, and she sets this standard that ends up being a huge burden. And her expectation, we will learn, is not Jesus' expectation. Interesting that that word distraction is used in another place in the New Testament. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 7 verse 35. That when Paul says that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And Martha's very distracted here. She's burdened, she's overwhelmed, she's stressing out. It started out to where she's excited to see the Lord. And I'm, I'm gonna make him this very special and great meal. And, and Mary, and Martha, start getting things ready. And somewhere there is Jesus talking and speaking and mary finds herself at his feet she parks herself there i'm not going to miss out on this opportunity the lord is here and martha sees that mary is gone and she's overwhelmed at this time and she gets up tight and i can almost guarantee that she's at the door of the kitchen and she's doing this (laughs) and the eyes you know which can send a message Guys, you know how that is. You've been married long enough. And maybe even the hand signals, you know, kind of like, get in here. (laughs) And Mary's just ignoring her, ignoring Martha. So then it tells us that as the tension builds, that she approached Jesus, which means she came right up to Jesus. Here is Jesus ministering to Mary in this beautiful scene, and then here comes Martha, perhaps with a snarl on her face, finger pointing, voice raised. Don't you care, Lord, that my sister has left me to serve alone? You tell her, since she isn't listening to me, to get back in this kitchen and help me. And all of a sudden, in this moment, the mood is tense. The joy of Jesus in their home is gone. And any hospitality that she so desired to show initially that she worked so hard for has just gone out the window. It's gone. Have you ever been over at somebody's house and invited you over? And for whatever reason, maybe you can sense there's a little tension there in the kitchen between husband and wife or, you know, parents and kids. And you can sense it, and it's just a little bit uncomfortable, right? Right? this is what's happening here and I've been in Martha's shoes unfortunately too many times because in my service to the Lord I can get very tense and uptight at everyone burden and I'm sure that in life that some of you most of you have had this moment that in your service for the Lord and living for the Lord. Maybe it's in raising your children, ministering to your family. Maybe it's making a living. You're trying to do your best in pleasing the Lord in how you live. You're ministering in some way that we end up losing perspective and we end up losing our joy. She says, Lord, don't you care? And tell my sister. Doesn't even say her name. And I've been there. Lord, don't you care that I'm working hard for you, that I'm laboring for you, and those people, they don't do their part, and there isn't anyone to help me. It's that Martha mentality and attitude that can be in me. Don't you care? Sounds very familiar. Luke chapter 8, Mark chapter 4 remember the disciples are in that boat and there's a storm and they wake up jesus and said don't you care that we're going to perish we just woke you up so you can watch us drown you know in the sea of galilee and you talk about losing perspective and needing to calm down and reevaluate then she tells jesus what he needs to do you tell her to get back into the kitchen tell her to help me interesting because that word help we find in romans chapter 8 verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as, as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit coming alongside the Holy Spirit to help us bear things up when we are burdened. You tell her to get in the kitchen and help me with this burden, but it was a self-imposed burden is what it was and so the lord very tenderly and honestly answers her and says as we read again in verse 41 martha martha now when the lord says your name twice you know you're going to get rebuked okay (laughs) martha martha you're worried and troubled about many things and you see the lord is not bringing this reproof to her service but for her attitude one of the things that the lord has shown me is that I can get very troubled and stressed and burdened and upset if I'm not in control, if my expectations aren't being met, and things aren't doing, being done to my standard, and i got to have my hands on everything. And Martha, who is a server, and that's a good thing. The weight isn't in serving. She has the gift of service. We need that. It's a blessing. The burden is self-imposed. And Jesus would say to us, as he said on that hillside, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take your yoke upon me, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. You see, we can take on burdens that are self-imposed. We can take on others' burdens that the Lord hasn't asked us to. We can put on all these expectations on ourselves. And it's not the Lord's burden because His burden is light. And when I realize that by getting all stressed out and yelling at everybody, I've got to reevaluate. Am I taking on burdens that I shouldn't be? Because you said that my burden is light, Lord. And when we serve the Lord, there should be real joy there because when these 70 came back in this chapter, we read in verse 17, they returned with joy. We should be serving The Lord with great joy. Not blaming the Lord. Lord, you don't care. And Lord, this is what should be happening. Tell her to get back into the kitchen and help. And the Lord says, Martha, Martha. And I've heard that. That Jeff, Jeff. You're distracted by many things. You're troubled. And he doesn't say it in anger, but tenderly. And you hear it here. You hear it when the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to shift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. And Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It must be hard to kick against the goats. You are distracted. The King James says, if you have one in your lap, you are careful and troubled. That word careful means distracted but what is interesting in Mark chapter 4 when you guys went over the parable of the soil remember that the seed is the word of God thrown on the type of soil that the, the plant sprung up but then the weed sprung up and choked out that plant that's likened to the one that the word of God is planted in the soil of their heart but all of a sudden the pleasures of the world and the cares of the world choke it out same word that's our word here Now listen, all of us have cares of the world. It's not necessarily bad, the cares of the world. We all have cares of the world. But what can happen is we get so busy, we get so distracted that it begins to choke out the joy of serving the Lord. It begins to choke out the the love that we have for the Lord. It begins to choke out the very word of God out of our hearts because we're very distracted. And what's the answer to that? What's the answer for us Marthas? Verse 42, but one thing is needed. In other words, importance, priority. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You see, I've come to learn, as many of you probably have, and I think it's a good reminder that the priority of the Lord is for fellowship and closeness and to sit at his feet. He's more interested in me than my busyness. Now, serving the Lord is very important. I want to serve the Lord. I want to do my very best. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to hear those words well done, good and faithful servant. But my love for him and my devotion for him and to know him is even more important because he's interested in me and he's interested in you. That's why he went to the cross because of his love for you. And as he took that cross, a few months from this time and walked down the Via della Rosa, the Way of Sorrows, as he walked out the Damascus Gate and to that place of execution, he did it because of his love for you. It was you that was on his heart and on his mind. I am totally convinced of that. And he brought you here on this night a week before Thanksgiving to remind you how much He loves you. And that's why He went to the cross. And that He is more interested in you, in me personally, in knowing us than our busyness that we can get so distracted by and with. And He wants the very best for you in your life. Do you know that? And I pray that this holiday season coming up, it gets busy for all of us, doesn't it? It's busy, you know, in life as it is, but now it gets really busy, doesn't it? Some of us are going to get up in the morning and busyness is going to slap us right in the face. But don't forget to sit at his feet. Because you're only going to be as strong and as spiritual as your devotional life is. You're only going to be as strong and as spiritual as your devotional life is, sitting at his feet, listening to his word. We got to be careful that we don't get so distracted because we're doing so many things for the Lord that we're not hearing from the Lord. And I think it's a good reminder for us as we close the year, getting towards Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's baking to be done, there's shopping to be done, and cards to get out, and gatherings to go to. But be sure that you're taking time to sit at His feet. We talk a lot this time of the year about you know, joy and, and peace to all men and, and great gladness and all of this. Listen, it's going to come as you sit at his feet listening to his word. Oh, there's things to be done. You know, there's always things to be done. There is a time where they need to be done. It's kind of like Moses. You know, as the chariots are about ready to come back, run over the children of Israel and wipe them out and they're backed up against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. And and you know, Moses said, Lift up your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. He said, You'll see the Egyptians no more. And then all of a sudden he must have done something like getting behind the rock and saying, Lord, this does not look good, you know. <laughs> and the Lord said, Moses, why do you keep crying out to me? Lift up that staff and let's get going. Move forward. And there are times where we got to move forward, right? But spend time with him. The church at Ephesus, you know it. That the Lord commended them, said, I know your works and your labor. You persevere, you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. He commends your work to him. But have you left your first love? He didn't say you you lost it. You left it. It's kind of like when we were leaving to come down here, go out to the car. Oh, I left the keys in the house. I got to go back and get them. I know where to get it. Have you left your first love? You know where to get it. Remember from what you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first came to the Lord. I was so excited. I was so excited that I got saved and, and then I was so blessed that the Lord would use somebody like me. You know, and I want to encourage you, listen, if he can use me, he can use you. When I first taught behind the pulpit, 25 years ago, when this church was only maybe 100 people, I stuttered and stammered so badly that somebody came up to me and said, I couldn't understand a word you said. (laughs) And I remember telling Pastor Brian, I will never, ever teach again. I will never teach again. And so I taught again about a year later. And it was awful. But the Lord kept ministering to me because I was spending time with him And he said, I want to use you. And we went up to Greeley and started a church. I I didn't know how to start a church. Didn't take starting a church 101 and 201 class. and, And the Lord has done exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think to use somebody like me. And he wants to use you. But you get to know him. He's going to be faithful to get you where he wants you to be. And you may be waiting on the Lord. You just continue to wait on him and seek him. But he's going to use you in a wonderful way as you just love him, walk with him, and don't leave that place. And as you do, do it in your service to him out of love and out of great joy. Have you left your first love? Go back. Remember from which you have fallen. And it says, you know, return. Repent and return there. Go do the first works again. And I add a fourth R. Remain there. Go back to know him and love him. Amen? Amen. 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 So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word, and I thank you for all those who have come out tonight and being here with the saints at Rocky Mountain Calvary. And Lord, I do pray as they customarily on this Wednesday as they come to the communion table which is going to be open for those to come as we hold the elements in our hands that we would remember this new covenant that we do belong to it wouldn't just be something that we it's a routine or whatever but Lord, this is a time of worship. This is a time of marveling of your incredible provision and love for us as we hold the elements, allowing your body to be broken so we hold the bread, the the juice, your blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so we know it's a very special time for the believer. And so, Father, I pray that if there is anyone here, maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe... Maybe you walked into this place tonight and you're wondering what this is all about, serving him. But know this, that Jesus loves you and he went to the cross to die for your sins. No one else did that. There's a sin problem. And all of us have sinned and it separated us from God. And that's why Jesus came, to die for you, the son of God who lived a perfect life. And on that cross, he cried out that it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. You come in faith, surrender your life, and cry out to him that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to give you that invitation that today is the day of salvation and to come to him. He is your salvation. There is none other. He is your provision of forgiveness there is none other he's your access to the father there is none other he's your hope a living hope that comes through the resurrection of jesus christ because they put him into a tomb and he rose again after three days he's alive he's alive and he loves you and he wants to save you if you've never come to salvation will you do that tonight right where you're sitting there, you can say, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again in your life. You're speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, thank you for forgiving me and help me to know you and to live for you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've been so busy with life and distracted. Maybe the cares of the world, maybe you're here and you pursued the pleasures of the world. Go back to your first love and recommit your love to him. Reaffirm your love to him right now and say, Lord, I don't want to be distracted. And I know that a busy time is going to come and I want to just take that time and sit at your feet as I begin my day. As I end my day, as I sit at my desk or I'm at the intersection, just to stay close to you, be able to know you more, to read your word. And so, Father, I want to go back. I want to repent, and I want to return and do those first works of just sitting at your feet and rejoicing in you and what you've done for me. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the hearts of your people. You know who they are. And Lord, I just pray that those who are here perhaps hurting or need a special touch from you as we now go into this time of worship that you would minister to their hearts and bring comfort. And Lord, that they would know that you love them and that you're with them. You'll never leave them or forsake them. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. And for those who have made a commitment in one way or another to you, you know who they are, that they would find one of the pastors or one of the leaders, even me, and just be able to express that decision that they made. And so, Lord, thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.